Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world, whenever you're listening. Hi, welcome to the Lily Pod. My name is Lily Contino. I am a proud transgender woman and a content creator. Creator. I feel like the word creator is way more fun if you really hit that O, creator. We're going to say creator from now on. So you might know me uh, from my TikTok streams where I do makeup. I do adventures in the city of San Francisco yesterday, which was my birthday. We went on a, we went to an escape room called The Heist. It was incredible. Uh, But I do a bunch of stuff on TikTok. So you might know me from there. Uh, I also do a bunch of LinkedIn content. You might see me on LinkedIn, or maybe you just stumbled on this podcast and figured you'd give it a shot. If this is your first episode, hello, welcome. Uh, regardless of who you are or how you know me, this is just a chance for me and you, the listener, to hang out. That's that's what this is. We're talking about funny, mostly funny, sometimes deep stuff. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I've got some fun stuff today, so... Uh, We're going to talk about my top five Jewish foods in just a minute. But before we get to that, I actually have... So yesterday or last episode, I did a segment. I started a segment, which I'm continuing today, called Unnecessarily Gendered Products. So we we take a look at (laughs) a product that is um, gendered for some weird reason, and it really doesn't need to be. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the one and only tactical baby gear. Now I could explain to you what this baby supply company is, but I think I'd rather read the about us description from their website. Dirty diapers don't phase you. Spit up isn't a problem, but a dirty diaper bag that's all frills and embroidered rubber ducks with no practical storage capability? Something so cheap it won't survive potty training? Well, there you might have a problem. Beave Brody, that's the name, feels your pain. A committed girl dad, he was neck deep in pink and purple when he finally had enough. Quote, I was picking up the kids from school, dropping them off, changing the diapers, so I would have the diaper bag more often than not. If he was going to carry this bag around all the time, Beef wanted something practical that matches his lifestyle and personality. But there was just nothing out there. So if you can imagine, now this might come as a shocker, Beef is a cisgender white man with a beard and he likes to wear camo. Camouflage, okay? So... You have a, a mental image of Beav Brody, who founded this company. And I'm going to tell you, there are two products in particular that I want to highlight. Now, everything on their website, Tactical Baby Gear, looks like a product from someone going to war. Like, the aesthetics of it are military. Like, combat, military, camouflage. It is directly inspired by and taking from like soldiers outfits 
and so are the names of the products. So like there's a germ grenade, which is just <laughs> a hand sanitizer holder. Uh, but my favorite is the tactical changing mat. And I'm going to read you the description for this product. A full diaper can strike at any time. And it doesn't care if you're anywhere near a changing station. That's why you need the drop zone tactical changing mat. Just grab this durable 600D mat out of your Deuce 2.0 tactical diaper bag. Fold it out, align the payload with the drop zone, and you'll have a ready-to-rock changing station wherever you are. The mat features foam padding for the Wii One's comfort, a tough waterproof surface for wipe-clean combat readiness, and a built-in pocket for dual intercept application personal excretion removal systems, a.k.a. D-I-A-P-E-R-S, diapers. So um, I think we all know the kind of men that these products are targeting. Uh, you know, maybe I should rename this uh, this this segment something a little catchier, like Fragile Masculinity Incorporated, something like that. Anyways, I, I've, I did a full deep dive into this website. Highly recommend, highly recommend for you to do the same. So we'll see how, uh, how many other examples of this kind of thing I can find. Uh, but I'm going to keep this segment running for as long as I can because, oh boy, do I enjoy it. Okay, moving in to our next segment of the day. Top five Jewish foods. Now, what is a Jewish food, you might ask? Great question. I am specifically going through Ashkenazi Jewish foods today. What is an Ashkenazi Jewish food? Also a great question. So I myself am Jewish, and there's Jews from all over the world. But the Jews that you might be most familiar with, uh, in at least in popular culture, like the oy vey, oy vey Jews, um, that come from New York and, you know, they big brown curly hair and it's like the mainstream American Judaism is Ashkenazi Judaism. Um, these, these are the Jews from like Eastern Europe, Russia, etc. They have a very specific kind of food that is Ashkenazi Jewish food. And I actually taught kids how to cook Ashkenazi Jewish food for like five summers straight. I had an instructional kitchen. Uh, I had seven classes a day with all all ages of kids coming in and out, learning how to cook from scratch. So I'm just telling you right now that I'm an authority on this food. And if you disagree with me, you are incorrect. And that's all I have to say about that. So my honorable mention for this one, I wanted to say gefilte fish because I love gefilte fish. Uh, most people I know hate gefilte fish. It is a smushy, pickled, like fish cake in a jar. I eat it once a year on Passover. It's salty, it's briny, it's fishy. And that's all I need it. I need it once a year. Maybe every few years I'll eat it. It's a good bite. It's like candy corn in that way. Except 
it's a good I, I like it I like it okay so that's the honorable that, that was going to be the honorable mention but I do want to call out for the actual honorable mention bagels and locks a lot of people when you when they think about Jewish food bagels and locks is usually going to be one of the first things uh, locks of course is smoked salmon so you take a bagel preferably everything bagel you put some schmear on it which is cream cheese then you take capers which are like little tiny hyper salty pickled green things onions red onions usually um a tomato slice i think anything else other than the locks i think that's like the majority of it and then you put down some locks on top of that okay this is the quintessential like jewish brunch food I love it. A lot of people love it. I'm not even that much of a fish person in terms of eating. Like, I'm not going to order regular salmon at a restaurant, but I will order smoked salmon for lunch. The biggest problem about bagels and lox is that it can be difficult to eat. It is an awkwardly shaped, well, it's like awkward. It's very, um, you know how when you carry something very big, and it's not heavy, it's just awkward. Like, that's what it is. Like, Biggles and Locks is liable to slip slip and slide all over the place. Like, you, you bite into it, the tomato slips out from under. You, you bite into it, like half of it falls off of the bagel. This is These are the issues you're going to encounter um, with the Bagel and Locks. Now, that's not really losing at points, but I, I just want to make sure you're aware of the problems associated with eating Bagels and Locks. It's important to know. So that's the honorable mention. Number five on the top five Jewish Ashkenazi foods. This one, if you're not Jewish yourself, you might not be aware of this, uh, this particular food. So it is called matzah brai. Matzah brai, okay? This, so if you know what, do, first question for you, do you know what matzah is? It's like these... Uh, thin little nasty crackers uh they're like eight inches by eight by eight inches usually something like that and we eat them on passover they're not fun to eat you eat them because you have to and you only have to eat them once a year however if you crush those up into a you know like a meal a powder then you have the core component needed to make this and other dishes that people really, really like. Because the main problem with matzah is that it's super dry and flavorless. But if you crush it up, it basically just becomes flour and you can add whatever you want and it becomes delicious. So matzah brai is one of those things. It is basically Jewish French toast. And I actually prefer it to French toast. I think it's just a little bit better. So what you do is you crush up this matzah cracker as fine as you want it to be. You can you can leave some like pieces a little bit larger. Some people look, there's there's a lot of controversy on how to make the matzah brai, but this is how I make it. And I taught kids how to make it. So this was my preferred method. You crush it up, you can leave a couple of bigger pieces in there, but by and large you want it to be pretty fine. You fill a bowl with this stuff and water so that it's like swimming in the water, okay? So you've got like a big old soup. Now don't worry, we're gonna drain it. We're gonna drain it, don't worry. 
So you get the matzah wet, you give it a minute or two just so that it absorbs all the water, and then you drain all of the water. And you are left with a soggy, nasty matzah paste almost. It's basically, it really is kind of like a paste. Um, now is where the magic happens. Now, so if you think about it in equivalent terms to French toast, you've basically just made what, you've basically just made like bread, right? Bread is moist. Matzah needs to be moist in order to be dipped in egg. So what do you do next? You add an egg and it becomes more like a batter, right? You want to add salt as well. You definitely want to add salt. You take this batter and what do you do with it? You put it on a griddle. So it is something between a pancake and French toast and it gets oh so crispy and especially if you add a good amount of salt to it, chef's kiss. There is a lot of controversy over what to put on a matzah brai. A lot of controversy. A lot of people say cinnamon sugar. I say no. I think cinnamon sugar is for French toast and not for matzo brai. The flavor profiles don't work the same. Some people say jelly. I don't understand why you would do that. Jelly is for peanut butter and jelly on a bread. Why, is, why are you using it here? The real correct answer is that matzo brai should be savory. It should. It's delicious when it's savory. So what you do is you take cream cheese and you spread it on top when the matzo brai is still fresh and hot out of the pan. So as you spread it on, the cream cheese is both cooling down the matzo brai and getting soft and mushy itself. Then you sprinkle a little bit of extra salt on top and you have yourself the most delicious savory breakfast French toast you've ever had. You're welcome. I know your life has changed now. You can thank me later. Moving on to number four. Speaking of matzah, matzah ball soup. It's delicious. Everyone likes matzah ball soup. That next to bagels is probably the most well-known Jewish food. Matzah ball soup is, transcends Jewish food. It's that popular. It's just chicken noodle soup, except instead of um, well, I guess in addition to chicken noodle soup, you add the matzo balls. So how do you make a matzo ball? Well, it is quite similar uh, to how you make um, a matzo brai. So instead of soaking the matzo like meal in water to get it all moist, you don't do that because you need it to form up into like a ball. So you don't add water. Instead, you just add an egg and some oil. Okay, and then you mix it up and you get this like almost kind of like a dough. You put it in the fridge, you give it 30 minutes to an hour, shape it up into a ball, and you drop those dumplings into a chicken noodle soup. And they cook pretty quickly. I would say they cook like 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. It's pretty easy. And it, it, is, such a, it is such a level up for a chicken noodle soup. And I could not recommend it more. I often made matzo ball soup when I was um, working in the job that I was teaching kids. We, made, we had matzo ball soup day. And God, the kitchen never smells better. 
honestly, it's you can make your own soup pretty dang easily, even without like a soup base. You don't really need that. Well, all you do is you take celery, onions, and carrots. Like if you go to the grocery store, you can buy celery sticks. Honestly, just like snap those in half, throw them in a pot. You can probably buy pre-cut pre, uh, carrots. Or honestly, if you're really feeling lazy, buy some baby carrots. Like it'll take longer to make, but at least you don't have to chop. Get some celery sticks, baby carrots. And most grocery stores at this point have pre-chopped onions. Now, I'm giving you the easy out because I, whenever I'm thinking of a recipe, I'm like, how can I cut corners? <laughs> And that is uh, by buying pre-chopped things. Anyways, you put them into water. You bring, you boil the water. Let the um, let the vegetables basically just simmer in there for a couple hours. You can add a couple spices. I would say some celery salt, maybe pepper, whatever else you like, parsley even. And then you drop in the matzo balls, and you have yourself matzo ball soup. You can, and that's vegetarian. You can add chicken if you want. You can add noodles if you want, but. At the end of the day, like that basic combination, just the vegetables themselves are going to make your kitchen smell so good. It's, I mean, even if you're not trying to eat it, just use it as an air freshener. It's delicious. It makes your house smell cozy. It's like, it feels like home when there's soup on the stove. You know what I mean? Okay. Number three on the list. This is another iconic Jewish food. It is called challah. Challah is the bread that Jews eat. On Shabbat, on pretty much any holiday, there is going to be this bread. This bread is special for a couple of reasons. One, it is an egg bread. So I believe the actual dough itself has eggs in it. It is a braided bread. So they take the dough and they braid, just like you'd braid hair, they braid the dough with three strands and they like, you know, lap them over the each strand. And then they brush the top of the egg, the egg, the bread, with egg. So when it goes in the oven and comes out, it's very shiny. And what this comes out as is a usually a, a sweet, moist, relatively light bread. Challah is used in a bunch of different Jewish rituals. So Friday night, you, uh, you're going to put bread on the table, you light some candles, you, you pass it around, you say a prayer or two, or maybe not. Uh, it's, it's just, I mean, literally like the metaphor of breaking bread together, you know what I'm talking about, where it's like, let's break bread. That's, um, you know, an equalizer where everyone can come around a table and eat, everyone needs to eat. Jews take that kind of to like a spiritual place with a ceremonial bread. Also, if you're just in the grocery store, you don't have to be Jewish to get a challah. <laughs> Just get one from the bakery. You will not regret it, I promise. Number two, jelly donuts. How is this Jewish, you ask? Well, here's the thing. When Christmas came around as a holiday, Christian kids would get gifts. And what are Jewish kids supposed to say back to that? Huh. You have this crazy day where you you wake up in the morning, you have all of the gifts that you could ever want, and there's some mythological character that is bringing them to your house, and it's a family time, and it's like... So basically, Jews had to compete with the concept of Christmas, 
Okay. That is like what, what like the core thing with Hanukkah is. Hanukkah is not a sacred Jewish holiday. It's not like, it doesn't have any crazy spiritual significance in the Jewish faith. Technically, it is a celebration that is mentioned in, I guess, the Torah. But when, when you ask like a more serious Orthodox Jew, what's the most important Jewish holiday? Zero of them are going to mention Hanukkah, even in like the top five most important holidays. All right. So here's the thing about Hanukkah. The whole story revolves around oil. Basically, there are some guys, they fought some other guys. When they were done, they celebrated by lighting a candle. The candle burned with oil that longer than it should have because the oil was magical or something like that. I don't know. The whole thing is like, okay, so on this holiday, we, we, um, we eat oil foods, oily foods. So latkes, fried potatoes, oil, uh, or donuts, fried dough. That's why donuts are a Hanukkah thing. Does this make them Jewish in any other way, right? Like, is this a... Um, is there any spiritual significance to the donut itself or the jelly inside of it? Absolutely not. It just happens to be a fried food, and we like donuts. So that's really the, that's really all it is. I personally love donuts. And a jelly donut, like, if I'm at a donut shop, I am almost certainly going to get some sort of filled donut. Like, jelly donut, yes. Cream-filled donut, yes. Will I get a non-filled donut? Possibly, maybe in addition to my filled donut, but the filled donut is the primary, like, or I guess it's the the first donut. Like, if there's only one, it's going to be a filled donut. So, jelly donuts, delicious. In um, uh, in Israel, they'll call them sufganyot. That's the, like, the, I think it's Hebrew. Could be Yiddish. I'm not sure. Anyways, moving on to my favorite, favorite Jewish food. This one you might not have heard of. It's it's a little bit, it's definitely like a classic Ashkenazi comfort food. And I've made it many times. But it's not something that you necessarily see at a Jewish deli or really at a restaurant. I don't know if I've ever seen it at a restaurant that isn't explicitly a Jewish restaurant, which of which there are few. This is Sweet dairy kugel. Sweet, you know. Dairy, you know. Kugel, maybe not. K-U-G-E-L kugel. This is basically okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna paint a picture for you here. If you can imagine the so so I guess if you like bread pudding, this is similar to that. The ingredients are different, but the flavor profile, the texture, the density and creaminess, it's all pretty similar. So if you like bread pudding, know that what I'm about to describe, even though it sounds kind of weird, is going to be something you want to eat. This is what you do. You take noodles, egg noodles, specifically egg noodles. You make them al dente. Or maybe even a little harder than al dente because you're going to cook them again. You add, now stick with me. I know this sounds weird. 
sour cream and cottage cheese and eggs. You mix all of those up. It essentially becomes kind of like a custard base that's going to firm up when you cook it because of the eggs. Now, here's the kicker. You add so much gosh darn sugar to this mix. Noodles, sour cream, cottage cheese, eggs, sugar. The sugar turns it from what you would imagine to be like a weird kind of acidic savory dish to a ridiculously sweet and creamy casserole that you put in the oven. Now, usually you'll top it with like, I don't know, you can use frosted flakes or whatever kind of like crust you want. But when it comes out, it is basically bread pudding. Like think about it this way. What is a bread pudding? A bread pudding is bread, eggs, some sort of like creamy thing, and sugar, right? It's the same kind of like basic recipe, but um, I th- I'm not sure what the creaminess in a bread pudding is. I don't know if it's sour cream. It might not be cottage cheese either. Whatever it is, it's good. And Kugel is good. I rest my case. Number one. All right. We've had enough. We've had enough Jewish food. We're ready for the next iteration in my Monopoly story time, which is sexy stories. Yesterday, we began the saga of someone that I dated for quite a while in our origin story where uh, she and I were on a program together studying in Glasgow, Scotland. She was also American, is also American, um, but we just happened to kind of like be placed in the same program. And it turns out that she was placed as roommates with my other good friend in the program, which meant that the two people that I interfaced most most with in Scotland lived together. And, you know, that uh, that was an unfortunate happenstance. Not that not they actually made it work. I don't think they were good friends. Friends is made. I think they were coworkers at best. These two. They didn't really have any. I know that they kind of got in each other's nerves a little bit here and there, but I think by and large they lived peacefully, coexisted peacefully. So that wasn't so bad. Um, but over the course of this semester, me and this person uh, had a lot of sex, and I'm going to tell you about a, a couple instances that were exciting. But, you know, the times that were, I don't know, I don't want to say less interesting, but happening inside the actual dorm, that meant I had to sexile my friend, right? So sometimes I would go over to hang out with my friend. Sometimes I would go over to hang out with my person. Sometimes I would hang out with both, but they didn't really want to hang out with each other because they weren't friend friends. So it was a little bit awkward. Like I was kind of placed in a strange position and... Yeah, and in some ways, I kind of, so my friend, I think, felt weird because I was like one of the only people she knew there, and I think she kind of wanted to spend a little bit more time with me than we actually spent that semester, so I think she was rightfully upset with me over the course of that semester because we just didn't, you know, like, I think she, I was the kind of person that was going to go out, meet new people do crazy stuff and she just kind of wanted to you know she was a little bit more of an introvert is a bit more of an introvert i'm still good friends with her um and i also was kind of an a-hole 
in general at that time in my life anyway. So she had plenty of reasons to just like kind of be ticked ticked off at me over the course of that semester. Anyways, back to the sexy stuff. A couple of really fun things that I did with this person that are worthy of note. Now, if you listen to episode one of this podcast, I told the story of how she and I had a three-way with a man dressed as a sailor in a bathroom stall. That was my first ever three-way. It was my least successful three-way. And it was a heck of a night. Um, I realized how deeply unattracted I am to men and uh, how Scottish people really, really... (laughs) You know what? I don't want to make that generalization. Uh, I I think this man in particular was quite repressed. Quite repressed. And what I was going to say is that I, I see a trend in the UK that there is a lot of emotional repression. I could be wrong there. I'm sure there's a lot of emotionally healthy people living in the UK. Certainly this man was not one of them. Okay, so we had that three-way. Feel free to, you could dig into the details of that story if you want on episode one, but a couple others. Now, I, she, she and I were 20, 21 at this, no, 20 going on 21 at this point. And we were just sexually adventurous. We wanted to push the limits, see see what we liked, see what we didn't like. And I think by today's standards, it's relatively tame. But by our standards then, oh boy, we had a blast. So I remember we we were like, let's let's have sex outside. I really want to have sex outside you know, do it publicly, not like in the town square, but in a place where there is a risk that we could be caught. There's no one there, but there could be someone there, right? So I do remember us prowling around looking for places to have sex. And of course, we looked in the library. This would not have been my first time having sex in a library. I don't think we we found we had any luck there. The library was quite busy even at night. We went there and we couldn't find anywhere. Um, We did find a spot in the woods, which was quite nice. Uh, I do remember that that particular evening fondly. Uh, There was like um, kind of like a student center that I played Dungeons and Dragons in a lot. And I thought, and I, I remember looking outside and saying, that's a relatively secluded little woodsy area. Maybe I'll bring this person there. And I did, and it went pretty well. Um, It was quite hot. I mean, there's just something about standing in an open, I mean, secluded, but open and possibly where someone could see you area and doing it. Like, you know, the the first person is just like literally standing and bends over and you are, you drop your pants in front of, I guess, the world and have at it. And... uh, yeah, that was nice. And then there was another time where we went like right outside my dorm where there is a kind of like a, I don't want to say back alleyway, but kind of that's kind of what it was. And we did it there. And I do remember that I ejaculated on a plant. Like, you know, I, I pulled out and finished on some like random shrub nearby. And um, I'm pretty sure that I then took a picture of that shrub. I don't know. It was a weird time in my life, y'all. Things things that you will do at 20 years old 
especially when you're living a lie and are deeply unhappy and chaotic emotionally, like taking a picture of that shrub. I can't defend it. I'm not defending it, but it is what I did. (laughs) It is what I did. Um, So me and this person had a lot of fun, sexy adventures. You know, we did it on the bathroom floor in her dorm, which was a public bathroom. That was fun. Um, And a couple others that, you know, we just, look, we had a lot of sex that that semester and it was pretty great. Um, One other notable fact about this semester is that me and this person agreed that this was not going to be an exclusive thing, right? Because I, again, to remind you, had a girlfriend back home and I was in an open relationship with her. And then I met this person in Scotland and I said, hey, uh, do we want to have sex with other people? And she said, sure, let's do it. I think that she was fine with it then. She might have been... I don't know. I don't I don't remember if she ever did get with anyone else. She might have. Um anyways, I f- had there's one other person in Scotland that I had a fling with while I was there. Um but you know what? I think I'm going to save her till the next one cuz there's no no use in just dumping it all here. We got plenty of sex stories to tell. We'll just uh we'll leave that one as a teaser. Uh, So that was Monopoly's story for today. Um, Moving on to the positive news of the day. Okay, y'all. Yesterday, as you might know, depends on when you're listening to this, but yesterday was my birthday. I am now officially 30 years old. Wow. 30 years old. Yesterday, I had a blast. I had a great birthday. Um, Went to the Cheesecake Factory which is one of my favorite restaurants, if not like my, I mean, it's certainly like my, my favorite chain restaurant. Is there better food elsewhere? Of course there is. But the Cheesecake Factory is just kind of got its own vibe and I dig the vibe. And of course, that's where we went for my birthday. Now there was <laughs> a brief moment of um, uncertainty last night because I arrived at the Cheesecake Factory about 15 minutes early and I start getting texts from everyone that was supposed to be there. We can't make it. You know, I'm sick or I'm having, you know, some stress or whatever. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, am I going to be alone at this Cheesecake Factory for my birthday? Turns out it all came together. A couple people that weren't able to come actually came. And it was just, it ended up being perfect. I loved it. I had my Caesar salad, chicken Caesar salad. Uh, we had a brownie sundae for dessert. We had, um, what was it? for? Oh, we had these like spicy tuna f- things for appetizers. It was just, it was just great. And um, yeah, so that's the positive news of the day. I had a great time last night. Okay, so it is now time for the friend story of the day. Okay, now the first half of the story is incredibly funny and the second half of this story is incredibly dark so i want to prepare you for that i have at least in terms of time left i should be able to get to both of these parts so prepare yourself so where we left off last tim and i my, my best friend tim and i were on a cruise and we were tripping on psychedelic substances um 
at this point in the morning, which was like 10 a.m., because it's a full day activity, lasts for a long time. Uh, Tim, I had volunteered Tim for a pool swim game activity where he was up like in front of 100 people organizing some like synchronized swim with a team, like because they're these British people that walk around the ship and just make fun things happen, like trivia and sing alongs and pool games and what have you. This was a pool game. Tim and I were just starting to get hit by the the trippiness. And of course, I always like, pick this guy. And he goes up, he nails it. It was hilarious. He comes sit back down. He's like, I hate you, but I love you. And I was like, I know. So at that point, we were just like totally tripping. It was great. Um, especially because he and I are so comfortable with each other. Like we don't, you know, it's, it's just one of those friends where you don't feel like you need to perform at all. You don't feel like you need to, you know, go above and beyond to like cater to their needs. Like you understand that you're doing the thing that they want to do and you're, they're doing the thing that you want to do. So he and I, I think we just wandered the ship and it was, it was an incredible day. Okay. That's the thing about uh, psychedelics, which again, I am sober now. I do not do these anymore. Um, but that's the thing about them is that if things go well, they go really, really well. And this is one of those instances, at least in the first half of the day where things went well. And that evening for dinner, he and I went to some random buffet because sh- cruise ships love a buffet. Um, and it was, it's kind of hard. It, this is a tough story to explain, but you ever have with a friend something happen that just doesn't, it, on face value, it isn't funny, but you talk about it enough and you start laughing about it and then it becomes the funniest thing of all time, right? Like, for example, me and my brother uh, were on a train once and we saw a guy who looked like Gandhi, like actually looked like Gandhi. It was kind of crazy. And I tried to take a picture of him and he looked at me and noticed, which was a very awkward moment. But then me and my brother started laughing about it and couldn't stop laughing for like 30 minutes. You know, it's just one of those things. Um, This was one of those things, okay? So we're at the buffet and we go up to a cheese station, cheese. And there is a lady who is standing behind the cheese station. She has a pair of tongs. She's like dressed up in a chef uniform and she is ready to give you cheese. Now, her whole job is to like make this cheese feel fancy. (laughs) But it's like pre-sliced, pre-packaged pepper jack and medium cheddar and like it's not it's not like oh this is a fancy gorgonzola or this is like a aged camembert oh no this is like would you like provolone (laughs) would you like this uh mexican blend like it, it is what you would get at a regular grocery store in slices and she just looked so deeply unhappy to be there and of course, me and Tim, as soon as we sat down, are talking about this woman. And the more we talked about it, like the the funnier it got of like how this lady is 
you know, positioned to be this fancy cheese distributor, but she's just handing people pieces of pepper jack. Like it, it, we could not stop laughing. And it was like 45 minutes of laugh crying at the table. We just kept on digging in. I'm sure we made up like a whole backstory for this lady and where he and I get into, you know, we, we do bits together where we'll just go back and forth trying to make each other laugh. And, you know, that's why Tim and I are best friends is because we can sit and laugh about something like that for 45 minutes. So to this day, every once in a while, Tim and I will bring up the cheese lady and uh, we it just all it never ceases to make us laugh and smile. So um, that, 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 that happened. But of course, as we're laugh crying about the cheese lady, another thing about cruise ships is there are people whose job it is to walk around the cruise ship and sell you specialty alcohol. So for example, there's a, a lady who walks around who's got Mai Tais and they're already made, they're blended, they look fancy, they're on a tray and like a nice cup. And if you want one, you can just like give them your room number and they will charge it to your room. So it's like an extra charge. So basically, they're just selling drinks. This guy that was walking around was selling lemoncello, which is a lemon-flavored liqueur. And specifically, he was selling lemoncello in a specialty shot glass. So not only are you getting the shots of lemoncello, you are getting this shot glass that has like a little sand dollar on it, like a little nice design on it. So you're getting a little alcohol, you're getting a souvenir. It all makes sense on a cruise ship. So he comes over and he looks us up, looks at us. He's got the bottle and he's like, lemoncello? And we're, and of course we just like are wiping our, the tears from our eyes laughing about this cheese lady. And we're like, oh, uh, I mean, yeah, is, is it is it like specialty limoncello or like what? And he, he looks at the bottle again and he's like, limoncello. And we said, oh, no, 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 no. Like, is it like, did, did you make it here on the ship or is it like, like, is it, you know, we were trying to, we were trying to understand what was it about this lemon, because we could probably have just ordered limoncello on our unlimited drinks package. So something had to make this drink special. And he just points out it one more time and he says, a lemoncello. <laughs> and that's when we realized that this man does not speak much, if any, English. And he has been told to walk around the ship and sell people lemoncello. Normally, the only word you need to do that is lemoncello. And that's what he had. <laughs> so, <laughs> Tim and I, once we realized this, we said, oh, okay. And we felt bad for the guy because we, we didn't want him to like, you know, walk away feeling like, oh, I can't speak English and therefore I couldn't make this sale. So we bought the limoncello and the, the associated shot glasses. And it was a very normal shot of limoncello. It's perfectly fine. Uh, and we kept the shot glasses. I lost mine years ago. But um, of course, for the rest of the cruise ship and Years after that, to this day, every once in a while, one of us will just say, Lemoncello? <laughs> so, you know, Lemoncello is um, now an inside joke, not just with Tim and I, but with you, the listener. Welcome to this inside joke.
So, huh, I don't know. Should I take this? Dark? Yeah, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take it to the dark place. I don't think we need to, to dwell on this too much. So, so here's the thing about psychedelics, okay? Psychedelics are incredibly powerful in any... Mm, they can be incredibly good. They can also be incredibly bad. It is one. It's usually one or the other. Very rarely are you going to be like, "Yeah, it was like whatever." At a medium time, like it's usually going to be good or bad. And for most of the day, for me, it was good. Um, but you know, as time goes on, it's going to wear off, and you are going to come down from a psychedelic. That is how that works. And when that happens, it's usually like a very quick, quick change where it goes from happy, 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 hopefully, to my like all of the serotonin or dopamine in my brain just like falls out. And usually people will like be prepared for that. A lot of times people will, you know, try to go to sleep around that time or, you know, self-medicate at that point with something else. So when that happened to me that night, Tim and I, Tim and I had also, we had also been drinking, which is, let me tell you, an awful choice. You never want to drink with psychedelics. Bad choice, okay? So we'd been drinking, and the came, the come down happened. Tim was passed out on um, in our room, okay? We were back in our room by that point. I was awake. It was about two in the morning, and it just so happened that this turned into the scariest night of my life. Why? Because as soon as the come down happened to me, and it went from happy, happy, happy to like sad lack of brain chemicals in my brain, I got to a place where I wanted to kill myself. Now, to refresh you, at this point in 2013, I did not know that I was trans. And I was living, like, even though I was having a lot of fun with Tim, generally in my life was, I was deeply unhappy at that time. I, every day, was pretending to be someone, even to myself, that I wasn't. I'd convinced myself that I needed to be this person in order to survive. Because in in middle school, I was so severely bullied that um, I... I needed to like basically pretend to like put on a mask essentially. And that mask protected me in middle school. And to my credit, as soon as I put the mask on, literally like masculine mask, like I stopped being flamboyant. I stopped dancing in the hallways, singing in the hallways, being this like little happy kid. They beat that out of me. So I had to be someone else. And I convinced myself that's who I was, right? It was that deep. And psychedelics, they dig to the core of an issue, for better or for worse. So if there is something hiding down there, for example, the fact that you are living a lie and every moment of existence is pain, you are going to probably run into that at some point or another. And the come down is when I ran into that. The deep pit of sadness in my soul revealed itself at that moment. And I just did not want to go on. I did not want to go on. Um, 
Tim was sleeping. He was like in, and he was like, he was like passed out, passed out. He had had a lot to drink. So I could not wake him up. And even if I had, I, I, he wouldn't have been very helpful. And also I didn't want to like show him that I was struggling this much, especially because we'd had such a nice day. Um, I was sitting in this hotel room two in the morning. There's not much happening on a cruise ship. There's, of course, there's going to be some nightclubs open, people who are just wasted, stumbling around the ship. They can't help me. Most of the crew is going to be asleep. So really, I felt like I was alone on a, crew, on a boat in the middle of the ocean without any help at all. And I wanted to die. And that night, I considered throwing myself off the boat. Obviously, I did not do that because I'm here to tell this story. How did I get myself down from that? How close did I come to doing it? Luckily for me, I did not leave the room that night. I did not, you know, like go out and contemplate it any further than the actual room, which is deep in the ship. Okay, so I didn't like walk to the deck or anything, but I thought about it and I wish that in that moment, I could have had some sort of realization, even if it wasn't, hey, you're actually, you're actually not living as yourself. Like, I wish I could have had at least that of like, something needs to change after this. We need to figure it out. But instead, what happened was I said, okay, I want to kill myself right now but I should not kill myself. So let's focus on not killing myself, right? Because even my logic brain was fighting against my like deeply flawed emotional brain. So here's what I did. I jerked off because I knew that that would pump at least a little bit of positive brain chemicals into my head, which I needed. I knew that I needed it. It was like the most functional and life-saving masturbation session that I have ever and hopefully will ever have. I did that. I then took a sleeping pill and I roughed it out. Now, what I could have also done potentially is leaned into the feeling and tried to identify the source because that might have made my life very different if I had at least figured out that that was what I needed to think about. But I didn't do that. I made myself pass out and I woke up the next morning and I felt a little bit better. The next morning I told Tim about it. Tim of course was, you know, why didn't you wake me up? And I was like, look, I didn't want to trouble you with this, but also like you were passed out, right? So it the rest of the cruise was nice, like but but it was for me personally it was overshadowed by that because I ne- the scary thing, and of course it's scary to want to kill yourself. That's deeply troubling. But it's, it's, it's scary in a different way to realize that you have the capacity to do that, right? Until that evening in that cruise ship room, I did not know that I was someone who was at risk for that, for suicide. And unfortunately, many trans people are. So to have that realization to realize that there is something deeply deeply repressed within me or something quote unquote wrong with me 
that I'm willing to do that or to consider doing that means that I have something going on with me and I don't know what it is, but I need to push it down further. That was really the realization that I arrived at was whatever it is, I cannot let it get to the surface because I thought, oh, this is something that I just need to, uh, like whatever it is, it is inherently bad. Like the, 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 the capacity to, to kill yourself is bad. That's what's down there. And if I let it up, then I will die, right? And that was a flawed way of thinking about it, but it's how I thought about it. Um, and unfortunately, I did not even consider the thought of being that I might be trans until the word trans didn't even pop into my head until late 2019. And that wasn't even like you might be trans. It was like people who in who, who want to wear women's clothes are trans, but I'm not, right? So it took me a long time. Anyways, um, that is uh, the cruise story. Like I said, very dark, but also very happy. And my friend Tim has been with me the whole way. He and I are bonded for life um i'm so i'm happy i went on that cruise even though that happened um you would think that maybe i would become sober after that cruise because why wouldn't you be literally uh but no no it took me seven more years well if you're talking about full sobriety i only started doing that this year in terms of alcohol but at least in terms of like weed and other things yeah so anyways um that is the story for today. We're going to wrap things up with a couple of uh, housekeeping things. Um, at some point, I'm going to be watching some Adam Sandler movies and recording my thoughts on them. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you have a second, please rate and review the podcast. Uh, I will read every five-star review that is written on Apple Podcasts. Uh, also, if you're listening on Spotify, just dropping a little five-star rating, super helpful. Um, I have merch. Uh, merch is on the store in my link tree. You can find my link tree via my Instagram or TikTok profiles, uh, lilytino underscore. Uh, also, if you like these podcasts, like for example, today is February 1st as I'm recording this. You were probably hearing this, if you're listening on the main feed, a week late, like an entire week late, right? If you want five episodes a week and if you want them as soon as I record them, subscribe to the Patreon, Lily's Lovely's Patreon. That's the way to do it. Even at the $5 a month tier, you're getting five episodes a week and you don't have to wait for them. So uh, you, and and of course you get other things like you get to be in our group chats, you get to be on our monthly calls if you want. There's a whole bunch of other stuff, but I think probably the podcast being early is is the main thing if you're listening. Uh, and, and that's really it for today. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for hearing my story. Uh, I love you. And if, you know, if you're struggling with any of the things that I talked about struggling with today, just know that you're loved. Uh, and even if it doesn't feel like it, you add value to the world just by existing. See you next time.